There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Voice to Voice America, to the Business Elevation Show. And I hope everything is going well for you at the moment. And um, and that you had the opportunity to uh, listen to the shows over the last couple of weeks. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Alex Catmore and Nelly Tomasi Mensa, and they were talking to me about stakeholder engagement. And I think uh, a very important uh, topic. We talk a lot about engagement on the show. You'll now feel very passionate about it. And uh, I think what they did is they they really sort of outlined uh, stakeholder engagement and very valuable to anybody who who has to deal with lots of lots of stakeholders in an organisation or does big change projects. And that show was incredibly well listened to. I mean, we've, um, we're, we're well into, um, within 24 hours, we're well into a sort of thousand listens to that individual um, show. So it's clear a lot of people are interested in stakeholder engagement. So um, if, you, if that's um, for you and it's a topic of value, then do go and have a look. Um, last week, I repeated a show. I was in Scotland with uh, uh, with my, um, my buddy. We were um, preparing for our uh, quadrathlon in four weeks' time. And therefore, sort of swimming and climbing and trying to survive swimming in a seven-degree lock, which was um, which was absolutely freezing. Um, and um, so, I replayed a show that I'd done on change, where my colleague John Jennings and I were talking about the change sort of process because we thought it might be a nice follow-up from the interview with Alex and Nelly. So today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest um, Eric Pelton. I shall tell you a little bit about him. He's um, he's an, an absolute expert when it comes to protecting trademarks, uh, something that actually plays a, a really important role in successful businesses and their ability to uh, to leverage their brands. And if you've got trademarks and they're not protected, then you need to really consider this or, um, or consider uh, if you... Um, you know, if you've really got a good strategy when it comes to to handling this uh, really important area. Now, prior to beginning his own practice, Eric Pelton reviewed trademark applications as an attorney for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, he was in law school uh, beforehand, um, where he focused on the convergence of new technologies, communications, intellectual property. Had some really fascinating internships. He was at National Public Radio. PBS Broadcasting, and also the White House, which uh, must have been really, really fascinating. And he's really been building upon his experience and uh, in, in doing so, recognized the rising value of trademark protection in this uh, incredible information age that we live in today. Uh, he launched T Marksman to uh, provide affordable legal assistance for small businesses in need of trademark protection. And since then, his council has helped build and sustain really strong brands for literally hundreds of internet uh, based ventures, software companies, inventors, restaurants, and small businesses across the US and in, in lots of other markets overseas. 
Um, Eric M. Pelton Associates have registered now more than two and a half thousand trademarks on behalf of their clients, and they've represented literally dozens of companies in trademark disputes. So, a subject we've not covered before. This is the 333rd unique show, actually. Um, that doesn't include any repeats that I might do occasionally. Um, uh, we've not discussed this subject uh, before, so I'm just uh, thrilled to have Eric on the show. Um, a huge welcome to Eric Pelton. Thanks. Pleasure to be with you today. Uh, you're very welcome. So, Eric, I like to ask people, you know, where they live. Um, I just think it's sort of we have people all over the world on this show, and I'm just uh, always fascinated to find out a little bit about you know where you're where you're sitting right now and um, uh, and what it's like living in the part of the world that you live in. I am coming to you right now from Falls Church, Virginia, which is a suburb right outside of Washington, D.C., and I've lived here for about 25 years, But and I, prior to that, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts area. Ah, so great. So, so do you living in, um, you know, you're living, it's very rural where you live at the moment. You obviously lived in Boston, and you're not far from Washington, but I just have this picture of, uh, of Virginia, which is somewhat different to Washington, D.C., no, it's actually, it's quite suburban here. We're still on the subway line, um, you know, about less than 10 miles from downtown Washington, D.C. But within a 45-minute drive um, or even closer, you can be in the mountains, you can be camping or hiking in the outdoors. So we have the best the best of both worlds, I think. Best of both worlds, yeah. Yeah, my, my wife always tells me a story when she, when she was in Washington as a, about a sort of 13 or 14-year-old on a school trip and they... Uh, uh, a man just stopped them and said, did, he, did they fancy a tour? There was about three of them, and they got in this person's car they didn't know, and he gave them a full tour around Washington and dropped them back, um, which was probably not a very wise thing to do. When you, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the school teachers wonder where they'd gone, but um, anyway, they gave them a nice tour, fortunately. So there's clearly some nice people in uh, in Washington. So um, how did you, you know, how did you kind of... Um, you know, from your sort of background and your childhood, um, ended up end up in this situation where you had this successful trademark business. Was there something in your in your childhood and growing up in Boston that influenced your interest in in this particular area? I, I love this question. It's um, I didn't really know when I went to law school that I wanted that I wanted to be an attorney or a lawyer. I just knew that I wanted to continue learning and educating and really appreciated what I understood of um, the type of ed- education that law school provided in terms of being able to research and reason and make arguments. And then as I went through law school and had these other experiences with internships and clinics, this was in the late 1990s at the time when Internet browsers and the internet were just really beginning to to you know become prevalent and explode and impact all types of communications and businesses, and that that's what sort of drove me to focus on the technology area, and then within that, I had some exposure to how that impacted brands, and at the time, it was domain names was a big, big story and who, who could get the .com for this or disputes over domain names. And I really just found it fascinating that um, this area of law was on the one hand changing some because of the new technologies that were impacting it. On the other hand, like many areas of law, the, the, the fundamentals were written generations ago and they really still apply for the most part 
just regardless of the types of technologies. The other thing that once I began my practice after leaving the government um, and getting my own practice and deciding to focus on working primarily with small businesses was my family's history. Both of my grandfathers owned small businesses, were entrepreneurs and built their own businesses. One was had an accounting practice and one had um, initially owned a dry cleaners store in New York and then owned a fascinating company in Florida that actually owned patents and uh, to make products that lift boats out of the water to keep them clean and safe uh, at night for those big fancy boats um, in Florida. And so I think that seeing their entrepreneurial spirit growing up really rubbed off on me and I really have always had a connection and a passion to small businesses. Mm, so it's kind of a, kind of in, in your, in your DNA. Um, I, I'm, I'm so intrigued and I've got, I've got to ask that having just um, read out your bio, um, you know, what it was like working in the white house. And I've got, I've got a favorite uh, TV box set that I've, uh, I've really loved uh, this year, uh, which is designated survivor. I don't know if you've seen that, seen that. I, ha- I have not seen that. Um, um if, if you haven't, you should. It's great. Keith <laughs> <laughs> Sutherland. Um, but I just wonder what it's like. Well, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, they had a really good program where we had guest lectures and we got to, you know, see lots of diff- different types of meetings and special events. Um, at the time, believe it or not, <laughs> this, this um, dates myself a little bit, but uh, this was the beginning of President Clinton's term, and he was the first president to have an official email address. And so my role, my de- the department that I was assigned to as an intern, was processing the incoming emails that the president would get that were essentially letters you know, with questions or voicing support or opposition to a, an, a current issue and tracking those and deciding which ones needed a response. And um, so, again, that was part of the conversion of technology and uh, affecting everything at the time. It must have been a really interesting to, to to see that communication. I guess you were you had to sign the official secrets acts and things like that. Um, if you were if you were seeing all of that, or was it more? Yeah, I mean, this wasn't uh, you know communication from. Um, foreign heads of state or official business. This was more communications where um, there might be a, a vote coming up on an issue related to healthcare or whatever, or social security or whatever it was. And, you know, they want to track what the public's opinion is on it and how many, um, how many inquiries are we getting that favor this or that are, are against it? Or are there people that um, are just asking for more information and we would, you know, they would have packets of information prepared to send to people. But of course they would get all kinds of correspondence, including occasional things that could be perceived as death threats. And that was the really serious thing where you would have to report that immediately to the secret service and they would work to, you know, investigate and, and track down things. Wow, it was pretty interesting to get a sense of how all these things kind of, kind of happen and and link together. Now I know, I know, like myself, you, you know, you love to cycle and you you compete in marathons and you've done lots of triathlons. I just wonder what you know. I like to find out a bit about people and you know the, the lessons in their lives. And I wonder what value that you found that has has brought to your life and maybe how that hobby's benefited your work. Yeah, uh, it's I've really enjoyed. I've run two marathons and I've done about two dozen um, 
triathlons. The longest one was a half Ironman triathlon in Augusta, Georgia. And it's really taught me um, a lot of things to, um, to focus, to prepare. I think preparation is really the number one thing that I take away that, you know, on a race day, a lot of things can happen, but there is so much, so many days of training and hours of training and, you know, nutritional meals and all the things that go into getting you to that day. And number one, the accomplishment doesn't happen without all of that training and focus and preparation. Um, and number two, you have to take joy in that process along the way or else there's no, you know, to me, there's no point or not nearly as much satisfaction in doing it. So I've found, you know, ways to also collaborate and, and work with uh, or train with friends and that makes it more enjoyable, also makes it more um, accountable and I've really had so much joy for me. I'm not a top notch athlete by any stretch of the means. You know, 10 years ago, nobody would have imagined that I would have ever run a marathon or do, do a triathlon probably uh, if they knew my history and, and looking at me. Um, but it's really been the joy and this um, great story that I like to tell when I did that half Ironman in Augusta, Georgia, you know, it was about a, I think it was about a seven and a half hour event between the, the swim in the river for um, over a mile and then the 50 some odd mile bike ride and then the half marathon. And, and it was a hot, sweaty day. And of course, by the end, I'm exhausted. But my family and my kids who were young then came to cheer me on. And um, my son was standing about, you know, a hundred feet before the finish line and he saw me coming to the finish line and he was so happy to see me and I was so happy to see him. And there's, you know, the, the Ironman finish line is kind of like an, an iconic thing in the industry. And they had made it clear beforehand in all these rules that they have that nobody's to enter the finishing zone without an official number. And they're worried about, you know, safety and, and other things. But my son was so caught up in the moment, he wanted to run the last hundred feet or so with me. And who was I to, you know, stop and try to explain the rules to a seven-year-old at the time? So I, I, you know, I just grabbed him and we kind of finished hand in hand. And it was, you know, a very memorable moment for me. And I have a great picture of it. And an hour later, they disqualified me from the race. Oh, no. But, but I could care less. I still have those memories and the memory of crossing the finish line with him and that joy for both of us, you know, is way more important than whatever the official record book, which, I, you know, I was close to the bottom anyways, um, would ever have meant. Ah, well, if, if you're if you're listening and you are disqualified Eric Pelton from that race, you should be absolutely ashamed of yourself, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely ashamed of yourself. Oh, I think it's important, actually, how these things inspire your children. I know it, it, it's very important for me with with my event, and it was it was lovely for me the other day. Actually, my oldest son, who's thirteen, rarely want to give any any cre any credit uh, to me, but he just said to me, "Dad," he said, um, "Can I say something to you?" And I said, "What's that?" He said, "You know your quadrathlon." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "I just want to let you know that I'm really proud." He said, "You you keep going out and you're training, and you've never ever complained." I just wanted you, want you to know that. And it was just a real special moment for me to get some <laughs> positive feedback from my my son. Um, and they'll be there waiting for me to finish, which will be will be memorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, 
how I've just got another sort of three minutes till commercial break. I mean, you know, what what is um you know your relationships? You've got children there, twelve and thirteen, and we've got similar age children. And I just wonder what that's you know being a father's taught you. That's maybe helps you become uh, even more successful with your business. Well, it's definitely helped me keep things in perspective, right? In terms of um, both. Um, laying the groundwork for successful business in the future and, and building a um, successful business that will sustain itself and hopefully provide success and, and eventually someday plan for retirement, but balancing that with enjoying the time that you have today. And, and, um, and sometimes there's tough choices, you know, between um, wanting to go do something fun, go for a bike ride with the kids today versus um, doing something for work that's laying important groundwork for with an important client for the future and figuring out how to balance all of that and explain to them the pros and cons of all of those things, I think has been really valuable. And then since I work with brands and businesses all of the time, it's been really great to see it through the eyes of kids because they are so cognizant of brands today and and how brands impact them online with social media or even just um, the the amazing thing that even a young child, before they know many words, can recognize a McDonald's sign or a coffee store sign. And those are some of really some of the first symbols that they recognize. It's It shows the power of brands. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to come back and have a commercial break now, but obviously we'll be back and we're going to talk then about trademarks. And, you know, we'll start off with why, you know, what they are, why they're so important to protect. And we'll we'll start talking about those brands. But it's been great talking to Eric and getting, a, you know, a sense of uh, who who he is and you know, those influences. And um, I, I love this, um, what Eric's doing with his exercise and how it's inspiring his kids as well, because it certainly does. It uh, it lifts everybody, not only yourself um, when you when you do it so we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes and we'll be uh, we'll be focusing in on trademarks after the break when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper with Eric Pelton. Uh, we're talking about protecting trademarks. And before the break, we're finding out uh, a little bit about Eric and what's influenced him and find out about those mean people who um, banned him from the, uh, the half Iron Man. Um, obviously, following rules. And I guess um, when it comes to trademarks, then, um, you know, perhaps those people were lawyers who banned you. Um, I don't know, Eric. Um, but when it comes to trademarks, I imagine there's lots of rules, too. Um, what, um, Eric, what... You know, tell us a, bit, a little bit about your business and also, you know, what are, what are trademarks and why is it just so important to protect them? Yeah. So my practice is working with businesses of all types and from all over the world, but mainly focused on small and medium sized businesses um, to protect their brands because all businesses have brands have trademarks, but many don't realize how important and how valuable it is to ensure that they're properly protected. And if they are, once they are protected, then also dealing with disputes, you know, which unfortunately come up sometimes um, more challenging than uh, other times. But the first step, you know, for most brands is to focus on getting the proper protection because the proper protection lays the groundwork to not only enhance the value of the brand and the impact of the brand, but also to make any issues that come up with copiers or disputes um, far more easy and simpler and cheaper to deal with and resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would you, you know, what, what do you class as a trademark? Yeah, so that of course it's a terrific place to start at the beginning. A trademark is anything that distinguishes one business from its competitors. Any anything that's used in the branding to distinguish. So primarily it's brand names, uh, you know, Nike shoes or apparel or Starbucks coffee. Um But it's also logos. It can also be slogans like Nike's Just Do It slogan or Nike's swoosh design logo shape. Um, Each of those are separate trademarks within the portfolio of the Nike brand. Mm, That's that's, that's helpful. And and is is there, um, I mean, I guess the first, you know, kind of, step in thinking about this too is if someone's maybe thinking about choosing a brand name you've got to go through a process to make sure firstly you're not stepping on any anyone else's um trademark um what's the what's the process to go and do that right so it's important to 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 start with a process and to start ideally with a strong name that is capable of not only getting full legal protection but of really resonating with Um, consumers or clients that the brand is going to be interacting with. And so generally I tell clients with new brand names that they want to, you know, do some brainstorming and come up with a whole host of ideas um, or themes. And eventually that, that narrows down into 
you know, several words or names that they might want to do, might want to use. And before they fall in love with any of them, before they start moving forward, that they want to consult with an attorney and do a proper clearance search. Because it is important to make sure that nobody else in the industry is using a similar name. Um, it might be okay if someone else in a very different industry is using the same name or a similar name. Names can coexist all the time. I mean, uh, an example that we have here of two well-known brands is Delta Airlines and Delta Faucets, you know, is maybe the one of the leading companies that makes bathroom accessories and, and sinks and things like that. Those two, you know, fields of business have nothing to do with each other. There's no natural reason that someone might believe that Delta Airlines also makes faucets or that there's a connection there. So it's okay for them to coexist. But if I was to start a car company or some other type of travel business and use Delta in the name, that might be an issue. Or if I was to start a bathroom remodeling company or a tile company and use the name Delta, that might be an issue getting too close to the um, faucet and sink company's brand name. So it's an important to consult with a lawyer so that businesses can understand um, whether their name is viable and usable because then they're building it on a solid foundation and it makes everything going forward so much easier and so much stronger. Excellent. You're, you're making me remember when I, when I, um, I was once invited to be on a radio show. Well, I often often do interviews as well as uh, being a host on this show, and mm -hmm. and I, I was in, invited and actually interviewed on a show called, which had started several years after mine, uh, called the Small Business Elevation Show. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually quite shocked that they actually invited me. Actually, but um, yeah, that just felt a little bit close for comfort, really. Sure. And that could potentially have been an issue, right? Um, again, it depends. The more creative, the more unique your um, brand name is, the more protection you're going to get against other people using something that might not be identical, but still could be similar. And the, the you know, the legal analysis is, is complex and there's a lot of gray area and it's what makes what I do interesting every day and different every day. But the fundamental is that whether or not the fundamental question under US law, and it's similar analysis in most other places is whether or not there's a likelihood that consumers would be confused between the two brands. There doesn't have to have been actual confusion. Um, it's whether there's a likelihood of confusion. And the two main factors, the two dominant factors in most analyses is how similar the two names are and how similar the two services are. So if the, if the names are strong and if the services are identical, then there's, you know, then there might be a, um, a stronger case that there is a conflict. And then generally the first user of the name has the most rights. Mm. But whether or not they have it registered also plays a role and even more so in the UK and Europe and other countries than in the US, registration is even more important. Right. Okay. So, so, so you have to. Um, so, so, tell us a little bit about that registration process then, and um, uh, and why it, why it is you know maybe more important in Europe than it is in the US. 
So the registration process in, in most countries takes about a year on average, but it's all, it's also the case that, um, it generally is, doesn't particularly matter how long the process takes because once an application is filed, there are more rights and there is a public record of the filing having been submitted. And that filing date is important because any applications or potential, potentially even other users of the name after that filing date may, um, may have less rights. And so getting an application filed is generally the most important thing. It's, um, and it's generally important to file sooner rather than later. There's very little benefit in waiting to file, and there's a lot to gain in filing sooner. In the U.S., there are you can file two types of applications or two primary types of applications. Those are either trademarks that are already being used in commerce or trademarks that there is a intent to use them in commerce in the near future. And then as part of the application process, you would later on have to show how they actually are used either on the products or in the marketing of the services. If there were services like consulting services or professional services or restaurant services or internet services um, and the marketing of those things. But in many other countries outside of the U.S., there is no requirement to show use at all. And that means that anybody can file an application in those countries. You know, obviously not anybody, but may, almost anybody can file an application in many countries for any name and reserve it and block it, regardless of whether or not they've actually done any business or or really plan to do any business with that name. And so that that is one big difference between the US and and most other countries with their systems. Right. So how, how do you, so, so you, there's a registration process and it might, you, you, you register it, but it might take a year to go through the journey till it, till it's, it comes out. But how do you, once you've got your trademark, um, how do you most properly use it? So using a trademark is important because that's what the consumers see. And um, so it's valuable not only in communicating to your users or your clients or your customers, but it's also valuable to properly use it to help build and enhance the protection. So um, in, in I'll, I'll talk about the U.S., but it generally follows similar um, rules in other countries, is, is that in the U.S., once a trademark is registered, you can use the R with a circle symbol in the upper right-hand corner, or it's generally in the upper right-hand corner. And that designates to everybody, tells them that it is a registered trademark and it can be found in the government records. But anybody can use the symbols TM or SM instead of the R with a circle without a registration. So that might mean that they have a pending application, but even if you don't have an application or even if you've been rejected for registration, um, you, a brand owner can still use a TM or an SM to help convey to the message to competitors, to consumers that this brand is important, this brand is valuable, this brand is seeking protection. Um, and I really encourage clients to do that because not only does it help build the legal protections, but it, but I, you know, I like the idea of communicating to your customers that 
the, you place value in the brand. I mean, why should they value the brand if you don't value the brand enough to seek protection for it? And another important um, element in using a brand effectively is to use it, um, if you're using it in like plain text without a logo uh, from time to time, to use it in a way that stands out. And so you could use it in bold lettering or in a different color or in all, all capital letters or something that really makes it pop out. So again, consumers know, oh, okay, we're not just talking about any phrase or name here. We're talking about something special, something important, something that the business wants us to flag as their brand. Yes, yes, that makes makes um make, makes a lot of sense. So, so you can do you can do the TM without even going through the registration process, can you? Correct. Yeah, but it just um just shows that uh, that you value you value that and and sends the message out. Right, and I should say I mentioned TM and SM, but I didn't actually um, explain the difference. And a lot of people do get confused about that. The TM is stands for trademark, whereas SM stands for service mark. And so SM is technically the proper symbol to use when the offering is a service and there's not a tangible physical good um, being delivered to the customer or the user. Um, many people mix them up and, you know, most people use TM because they're more familiar with it. And, and, you know, there's no real penalty or harm in doing so, but technically someone delivering a service, which would be a consulting service, again, a a legal service, a real estate service, a communication service, because they're in a service industry and they're not providing a physical product to their customers, they should be using SM. Right. I I don't actually think, I can't, I can't remember having seen SM I mean, do you, do you see that in the, in the United States? It's You do, but not nearly as much. But of course, it's also because many, you know, most billboards or magazine advertisements or TV commercials or a great majority of them are advertising products, you know, phones and cars. And uh, mm-hmm. so, I mean, those those things tend to get, tend to spend more money on that type of advertising. So we see them more, but also brands tend to be a little bit lazy and just use TM because they know that. More people know what TM means, so they're more comfortable doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so if we have our, our sort of trademark, maybe, maybe, maybe set us up and protected if we've been through that kind of kind of process. I'm interested to know what you do in terms of dealing with conflicts when you, you know, when you see a conflict, when um, you know a consumer is likely to be confused as a result of it. How do you manage that and enforce it? Right. So generally, you know, it's very important if you become aware of a conflict or a potential conflict to consult an attorney because um, you don't want to make an allegation that could backfire. So you want to make sure that it's a proper situation to make a complaint. And then generally, before these things go to possible litigation or court, there's generally communications between attorneys or between the, the businesses and the parties to try to resolve it or to, to, to try to get it to stop or to try to reach a compromise. The great majority of disputes about trademarks do not go to uh, court. And even the great majority that do go to court don't go all the way through to a final resolution in front of a judge or a jury because 
but generally, you know, both sides have an incentive to resolve it in a way that saves money and has more um, finality. One uh, important thing for businesses to know to to help deal with disputes is to set up a program to monitor for so that they become aware of disputes. So even if you have a registration, there's a, misperce- a common misperception that some have that the government will enforce it for you and the government will send a notice or or do something to stop an infringement. And, and that's um, not at all true. What the government will do is they'll block other applications that are conflicting um, without without the owner having to do anything. So that is one tremendous value of having a registration and being in the government system. But um, in the marketplace, the business has to take steps on its own to deal with it. And so by monitoring, by creating, like I, I always recommend that clients create free alerts using Google or other search engines that will monitor for the brand and send them notices when there are uses of it in the news or social media or online. So they can see and Hopefully, the great majority of them refer back to the actual brand, but it's a good way to get a heads up if there might be a new business that, that is using the brand improperly or, or infringing the name. So we've just got a, a minute till commercial break, but uh, very, uh, hopefully a quick question. Uh, what happens in the you know, for example, your, you know, your, your watch manufacturer or someone like that, and you, you know, rip off copies from a, the Far East, which have... Uh, got your brand logo or name on it, but, um, you know, maybe misspelled. Right. So those are counterfeits and there are there, those, um, you may have to go to court and get an injunction to try to, you know, shut down the imports or shut down the, um, factory. And that also has a value in protecting international. And we can get into a discussion in a little bit about some international issues. Um, but yes, counterfeiting of course is a, is a major problem for, for big brand owners in particular. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to go to a commercial break now. And after the break, we'll have a, you know, a, a further conversation about how, um, you know, how really trademarking can, you know, over time help you to grow your business. And we'll talk about overseas as well. And I'm also interested in things like, you know, implications of political change and that sort of thing on, on trademarks. We'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Eric Pelton. We're talking about protecting your trademarks. And uh, Eric and I were having a little conversation in the break. And in the question I was asking him was the, you know, the, the value, there's a, a cost to going through a formal process. But what are the benefits of going through that formal process as opposed to just putting TM or SM after the brand name? So over to you, Eric. It was- yeah, and the, the benefits really outweigh the cost because the costs, while they're not, um, you know, they're, they're not negligible. Uh, they're reasonable. And they're manageable for most businesses. A trademark can be registered for between $1,000 and $2,000 generally. Um, and the benefits, not only being able to use the R with the circle, but just appearing in that government's database, again, is going to let the government block potential applications that come through that could be a conflict. And it's also... Um, one very over often overlooked element is that it's going to stop a lot of issues from arising before they ever do arise and before any the, before anybody would ever find out about them and what i mean is that when new businesses are going to research their names in the future and hopefully they're doing it properly and consulting with an attorney and searching the government's database if they see this registration then they know to stay away from anything that is um, a potential conflict with it. And so most registered trademarks have likely stopped lots of other businesses from ever coming up with a similar name and nobody notifies them, nobody tells them about it and it's impossible to assign a value to that, but obviously it's of a tremendous value. Excellent. So there's probably this invisible benefit that you probably will never ever discover or know about that is happening as a consequence of... uh, the government. I like that invisible benefit. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, so how do trademarks really enable you to effectively grow your business? That's one of the things I see, you know, on your on your website, and that there's, there's this value to trademarking that can really help you leverage your brand. Yeah. Yeah. So not only does it allow you to, to you know, make sure you're keeping the competition at bay from not using a confusingly similar name with all with these um, tools for dealing with disputes and, and being in the government's database that we've already um, talked about. And not only does it allow you to enhance the visibility and credibility of the brand with consumers by using the R with a circle and the other trademark symbols, a registered trademark is, is actually a tangible asset. And that means that it can be transferred. It can be assigned a value in a um, in a purchase of a business or an acquisition of a brand or of a name or of a product. It can be licensed to others. So you know, for example, um, popular movies, and uh, you know, this does it doesn't apply at this scale to most brands, but you know, superhero characters from Marvel movies or Star Wars movies, right? 
Um, they're licensed on all types of cross promotions and products. And that is because of the value of the brand and in part the value of the trademarks and being registered that allows them to easily license them. They can even, a registered trademark, because it is a tangible asset, be used as a security, um, as collateral in a loan or another transaction like that. And so they have a tremendous value to investors and to growth of businesses and potential sales of businesses by having the trademark registered. And I, I really get that. I had a had a job at one stage, or some roles where I used to be responsible for the buying of marketing services in in um, in, in Mars a confectionery company, um, an electronics company, and also at a company called United Biscuits. So so often I was uh, handling licensing deals, and uh, which often involved rather large amounts of money to put brands on on confectionery packets or biscuit packets. Uh, yes, and um, you know there would be large fees involved if it was, uh, you know, Yogi Bear or, or, uh, you know, or um, Where's Wally or someone like that. <laughs> popular, popular at the time. Yeah, you know what? That reminds me a big one that was in the news just recently with the finale of Games Game of Thrones that was, yeah. you know, so tremendously popular. Um, there were Game of Thrones Oreos and Game of Thrones wine and other beverages. And so they capitalized on the, on the you know, impact of that brand, particularly in this final season, to license a lot of products that you wouldn't necessarily think of having a direct connection to the, to the show, um, but it's a tremendous value. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. It could be it could be could be films and movies. It could be could be charities. I remember doing deals with Comic Relief um, and having those on them on, on pack. And they were getting a they were also getting a you know an amount per item sold as well. So big money in that um, in that field. How do you? We talked a little bit overseas. How do you protect trademarks? You say it's not so expensive to to go through this process with um, with a trademark, but. But what about brands that maybe go out globally, internationally, can be potentially lots of markets? Yes. And of course, today, there's more and more global brands or brands crossing borders than ever before with communications and um, technology and internet. And there, unfortunately, well, I, I, I think unfortunately, you know, there's not one international trademark registration. People ask me all the time, oh, how can, can we just register this internationally? Is there one place? There is not one international registration. You have to go basically country by country. And obviously, that could get tremendously expensive and complicated. Um, but most brands can pinpoint, a, you know, even international brands can pinpoint a handful of countries where they're um, – where they're where they're doing a significant amount of business that it justifies the cost. So it might be filing in the EU, which actually the EU has you can acquire one registration that covers the entire EU. You could also apply separately in individual countries within the EU, but but it is a great deal to just file for an overall EU registration. Um, and for many companies that deal with uh, manufacturing in China, and because of all of the counterfeit and other difficulties and challenges that can come from China and intellectual property theft, many uh, clients that uh, you know have uh, manufacturing there 
seek registration there. And that provides a value um, in the event that there is an issue or a dispute. Again, having another tool to be able to try to stop it um, and, and stop it as effectively and quickly and cheaply as possible. I say that you raise a really interesting as a point, you know, me being based over here in the United Kingdom as well. You know, we have this uh, scenario going on at the moment where you know some people clearly believe it's um, it's better to be separate from the EU um, rather than being a part of the community. Um, I know where my opinion lies, and it doesn't lie with the former. But um, I think the, um, the you know there's a, then an extra complication if when when we're not part of the EU, which presumably that will happen. In that, um, would would we then have to go and register trademarks um, country by country? I, I, I don't know what what happens. Yeah, that I, I believe that the final um, details of that are still being worked out as part of the regular. You know, if Brexit goes through as part of the regulations that will have to be um, created and rolled out, they will have to deal with that question. And there is no finality to that um, yet. But uh, it has been at least hinted at that something that is registered in the EU now will still have protection um, in the UK. In other words, they won't, you won't lose that protection um, if the UK leaves the EU. And so, um, it seems to me, as I mentioned before, it's almost always better to file a trademark sooner rather than later. And that's maybe just one additional reason that if someone was considering um, applying in the EU for protection, that applying now might give them even more protection than it could give them in six months or a year if um, Brexit does happen. And uh, again, I can't promise <laughs> what the final um, thing is, and that's something that that if if it uh, affects you, should definitely consult a lawyer um, in Europe and check the ongoing updates and discussions of that because I know there's been a lot written about it. Um, but it, it is a very interesting small footnote in the in the larger question of the Brexit issue. Yeah. Well, we don't even. I think our prime minister just resigned yesterday, so right. So I don't think we can even ask a, a prime minister at the moment. We, we don't have one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't think a lawyer's going to know, to be honest, at, right at this point in time, which way things are going to go. Um, t- tell us a little bit about you know your you know how you help your clients and you know the ideal client for you and you know how 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 this kind of kind of works. Yeah, it's been a. It's been amazing, as as you said in the introduction. Over, I started my practice uh, 19 years ago when I left the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and since then I've worked with uh, more than 2,500 registered trademarks, and that probably comes from, you know, a few hundred, if not a, a thousand or so, different businesses, and they're of all different types and natures. And sometimes someone comes to me for one trademark for one, you know, business and, and we work together for a year to, to, to get that registered and, and that's it. And then other times I have clients who have portfolios of 10 or 20 or 50 brands and they're constantly adding new names to it, um, or evolving and creating new products or divisions of their company. Like one client I was, um, chatting with this morning is a brewery 
here in the U.S. and they're pretty they're a, they're a successful smaller brewery, but they have uh, you know they have maybe fifty or so different beers with different names and variations out there, and so they they have protected many of them, and we work with them to decide not only. What you know? What, not only on choosing names that are good and viable and protectable, um, but then which ones are worth the investment to go ahead and protect. Um, and in, you know, in their case, um, sometimes if they're making something that might only last for one season or for one year, you know, then then maybe maybe they don't budget for trademark protection on that because. You may not be able to protect everything, and you know there is a there is obviously budgets for everything that have to be met. Um, but our process, because we've worked with so many clients, uh, my process at my firm has really been you been to leverage technology to be able to make it efficient, to manage the communications, to manage the expertise and the experience in the process, to make it as efficient as possible, both for the client and for myself, so that I can handle a fair amount of volume. Excellent. Well, we've come to the end of the show now, and and, and thank you because you've really made this subject, um, you know, very very clear to me actually. And then I think it was very helpful there. You're just sharing an example as well um, to understand actually the, the the complexity that's involved when there's lots of brands and uh, and the value that you bring through uh, being able to do this in a very efficient and effective manner and no nowhere to turn, etc. Um, I just want before we we go, whether you've got a you know final message that you'd like to leave us with, really. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm an attorney, so obviously it's not going to be surprising when I say, you know, that even though some trademark work can be done without an attorney, where an attorney is not required, that there is still a tremendous value in using an attorney, in using an expert to handle it, to make sure it's done right, and frankly, in many instances, ends up saving money and saving time and saving problems by using an attorney from the start rather than trying to, you know, cut corners and um, do it on on your own. And an, another final message I would give is that many people um, w- know that once you file a trademark, it becomes in the public record w- of whatever you know, system or country it is. And unfortunately, there are people out there who take those public records and then send scam or bogus notices to um, to the applicants, to the registrants. They make it look official. They make it sound like it's coming from a government agency and asking for more money. And just be very careful of any notices you receive about your trademarks make sure that they're actually official and coming from the government and not some type of a scam. Excellent. Well, well, thanks so much for being on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you, Eric. Thanks. It went by quickly. That's great. <laughs> and, I'm, and I also like to say a big thank you to Chad Barr, who introduced us. Um, Ch- Chad's a, an amazing guy. If you want to, uh, for developing websites and helping you uh, become a sort of global um, you know, proliferation expert when it comes to um, content um, he's, uh, he's he's fascinating. So I reckon if you if you really interested trademarks um, as sort of a spark for you and something that you need to look at, um, EricPelton.com and that's Eric with a K E R I K Pelton P E L T O N dot com. Um, you know, all indications I've had around Eric are that he's a, a great man to work with. So um, you do get in touch with Eric uh, on next week's show. We have Rachel K Mashawa. Um, she's a, a vice president at, at, at Intel. Has had an amazing career. Uh, an absolutely fascinating lady with a real um 
expertise around innovation uh, and also an amazing case study around sort of success and so corporate success and um, also doing that when you've got a family. She's got four children. So do join us next week to listen to Rachel K. Mashawa. Also, a big thank you to Business Growth Bureau, who I did this show in conjunction with, uh, my good friend Rupert Honeywood there. Um, they're, they're amazing people to talk with if you're looking at um, generating leads through LinkedIn. And um, wish you all well. Yeah, once again, thanks, Eric. And uh, any questions, comments, uh, please get in touch with to Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Eric. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 